Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe. On the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 36th episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course, you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com. And please tune in to any of my previous episodes with my inspiring guests. In a nutshell, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and understandings, both about ourselves and the world around us, those places where we don't want to look. Listen, we live in turbulent times, and we are coming to understand that life simply isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it's time to introduce our guests this evening. Taylor Jaffe is an environmental justice coordinator at Catskill Mountain Keeper. From food access and security to understanding the distribution of environmental benefits and burdens in the Catskill region, Taylor brings a community-focused lens to her work. In addition to environmental justice work, Taylor lives and works on Snowdance Farm in Sullivan County, New York, with her family. The mission of this family-owned farm is to raise the finest poultry and meats possible by being environmentally friendly, socially responsible, and customer-focused. Taylor enjoys writing and performing music. You can find out more about her work and music, including her debut EP, Freefall, via her Instagram at Taylor C. Jaffe and on her website, which we will provide in the show notes. Cal Truman is a climate justice advocate operating out of a transgender intentional community in the Mid-Hudson Valley. They come from a rural working class background with over 15 years in environmental fieldwork and solar energy experiences in resource extractive communities and extreme weather disaster relief underpin their commitment to implementing alternatives to fossil fuel power. 
from northern Maine to Appalachia, they have facilitated environmental conversations in communities across the northeastern U.S. grounded in an ethics of labor, racial, and gender equity. From leading children's science workshops to training activists to installing solar panels, their experience in many different aspects of climate education, conservation, and justice gives them a broad skill set to connect with individuals and communities and empower them to join the movement. They are the Education and Careers Coordinator for New Yorkers for Clean Power, a statewide collaborative campaign to rapidly shift to a clean energy economy without leaving anyone behind. They specialize in breaking down complex issues to make them accessible to non-experts and bringing a dynamic intersectional lens to conversations about the climate. Hello and welcome, Cal and Taylor. Hello. <laughs> it's great to see you both. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, I like to start my, my, my podcasts with how I know my guests. And I am pleased as punch, as they say, to share that I know you both through Earth Intention, a climate cabaret that we produced at the Plum here in the Catskills, my salon space, the Plum. I, Taylor, I heard about you, or actually I learned of you through watching a Mountain Keeper video. And Cal, I got your name, I think it was through, yes, it was through Chantal Billado, my partner, and who learned of the exquisite work that you're doing. And we were thrilled to have you join us for the Climate Cabaret. So uh, how was that for you two? How was being a part of that? And to let, the, let everyone know, they, they were speakers and, and Taylor also sang. And if I had known that Cal sang, I would have <laughs> asked. <laughs> I don't really sing. <laughs> it was very nice to be there, and I'm relieved I wasn't singing because I would have been a lot more nervous. Really? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, yes, you looked as smooth as ever. So, but but I do. I was thrilled to learn that you did. You did. Sing. And how about you, Taylor? How was the experience for you? It was awesome. I am. Um, you know, I definitely love doing this environmental justice work, and I love music and singing. So as soon as you reached out and had a connect for both, <laughs> I was like, this is great. Yeah. yeah, it was a little match made in heaven. Well, what about, what was your takeaway from the event in terms of, of uh, speaking with people, speaking with the other cast members, speaking with, with some of the audience members? What was your takeaway from, from being a part of that? <clears throat> for me, um, I have put a lot of thought into the role of the arts in social movements um, and in the past have taught about the role of music specifically in social justice movements, especially in like um, the history of the United States. Um, and so having that connection um, made very deliberately seemed like um, a re I was excited to be part of it. And also I'm glad to see more of it because I think that folks are a little bit confused about what to do in this moment of intersecting crises 
And, uh, you know, folks who have skills in places like the arts, I think often feel like their work is not meaningful when in fact it's extremely meaningful and necessary for any kind of cultural change, which what we're talking about requires. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The power of music and the power of storytelling. How about you, Taylor? Yeah. I really want to echo what you said, Cal. I mean, I think just, you know, talking from folks who attended and watched and then also the cast, it was so clear to really feel all of that emotion that we have around climate change and the climate crisis. But, you know, as you said, Cal, um, just bringing music into that and bringing art into that is really a way that I felt empowered personally. And it, you know, kind of like a little kick in the butt to like, you know, do it more and and really be able to get our message out that way. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I've had a few environmental discussions that intersect with the power of the storytelling and engaging people's emotions through storytelling and the storytelling of music and how getting moving, pushing people out of the overwhelm, which is always my biggest takeaway, is I'm always, I personally feel overwhelmed. And I, I rest assured that everyone and I, you know, put more energy into this than the average layperson. I mean, I'm certainly not the two, of, I'm not you all, but, um, you know, so, so speak to us about how you feel, uh, how do you, the two, how do you both move yourselves out of that, over, um, edging up with that overwhelm hmm. that, yeah. you see in the, that you see in all of the people that you teach? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to kind of navigate that. I think for me personally, you know, reminding myself that this is what I'm doing and this is what I love doing is a great way to, you know, feel like motion is happening. The movement is happening, but you know, it, it's something that's in every single part of our day. So, you know, as much as I can educate myself to make, you know, good consumer choices and, and those tiny shifts that for me feel like a difference and as much as I can, you know, tell my friends that, um, that feels good. And bottom line though, is, you know, it's going to take a lot more than just me. It's, um, you know, we've got some corporations out there that can really take on a little more responsibility. Who can step up and change. How about you, Cal? As far as dealing with the overwhelm, I think I, there's a different answer if it's my own overwhelm or others. Um, I think the, the best approach for dealing for sort of encouraging another person who's feeling overwhelmed about the climate crisis is first of all, to acknowledge, of course, it's overwhelming. It's not that you're doing something wrong. It is an overwhelming situation. This is, you know, a geologic scale problem that is beyond any one person's ability to be effective. And so that is overwhelming. And so what you have to do is you have to find the right level of zoom in and out to where you can be effective. And sometimes that is things like, making a change in your individual house. Can you be, can you install solar panels at your house? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Can you ride your bicycle to work? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. And then zoom out one level to your community. Can your neighborhood, you know, do something? Can your school do something? Can your workplace do something? You have that third level, which is like municipal. Can your town change the policies? Can you go to a city hall meeting and get, 
you know, renewable energy for all of the major buildings in town, like finding the steps. And then the top level, that fourth level is national essentially, because that's like the biggest level at which I as a person might be effective or someone I know might know someone who could have the ear of a senator, you know? So it's about finding the right level of Zoom where you can be effective and seeing what you can do at any of those levels. Um, And for myself personally, it's about uh, reminding myself of that and uh, taking a break from the news once in a while. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like staying connected to hope, of course, that was, you know, a constant uh, discussion between Chantal and I always staying connected to the internal hope and not, not giving in to it's I'm not making a difference or all of us aren't making a difference or this is just too big. So thank you. Those are all great, great, great ideas and suggestions. Okay. So Taylor. You grew up on a farm and your parents are both from the city and decided <laughs> to come up and farm. Yeah. What's that about? Trap me here. <laughs> um, no. So uh, until I was about three, I was born in Manhattan and we lived there until I was three. And, you know, following 9-11, my parents, we had a weekend house in the Catskills in Livingston Manor and following the crash of the Twin Towers, my parents, it's really a reset. They wanted to, they wanted to raise my brother and I really, because, you know, my memories from before I are really nannies <laughs> a little bit. So we moved full-time to our weekend home. And um, my dad, who grew up watching Little House on the Prairie, was just under the impression that the only thing people did in the country was farm. <laughs> so we, uh Yeah. We talked to a bunch of farmers and after, you know, kind of going through what wasn't going to work on the side of a mountain, which is, you know, vegetables and what wasn't going to work personally, um, you know, cattle, for example, dairy, a little difficult. Uh, We settled primarily on poultry and just grew from there. And so, uh, you know, the obvious question is that you you're growing up on the land and, and having a family that all worked together in such simpatico with the land and in harmony with it has led you to this work. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, there are so many uh, little instances of culture shock I had growing up and going to school and, you know, meeting friends who maybe didn't get a chance to work with their family or didn't even, you know, have breakfast all together. So certainly moments of culture shock and uh, very glad for this experiment that uh, is, you know, ongoing that my parents embarked on. Oh, beautiful. And Cal, how did you grow up and how did you come to the climate work that you are doing? Hmm. Um, well, I grew up in Maine from the time I was pretty small, uh, initially Northern Maine. And then I went to high school in Western Maine. And uh, the communities that I lived in had a lot of rural poverty, which is very different than urban poverty. You know, I had a classmate in high school who he and his mother lived in a tent through the winter one year, you know, like it was pretty severe in some areas. And so I think seeing that gave me a really good basis of comparison for my own, you know, uh, relative ease. Um, And I think... Also, growing up in places that were very beautiful and um, 
that there wasn't a lot to do other than go outside, uh, I think influenced my interest in being outside. And I also, you know, I, I was born in 85, so I grew up with, um, uh, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. And I grew up with Fern Gully and I really took those kinds of, uh, the like early nineties environmental messaging in mass media to heart. Um, which is, it's really interesting how much that has totally disappeared, but that as, you know, as a small kid, I was, I was into those like 50 nifty ways to save the earth kinds of books. And as I got older, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up, but I had ideas about like what I wanted to help with. And I wanted to help make sure that the world, um, that the environment was protected. So um, I found ways to do that. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And I want to pick up when we come back after the break, I'd like to pick up in that story and, and, and translate that into how you moved into your career and profession. When we come back with Cal and Taylor on the edge of every day, stay tuned. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. On edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. On the edge of every day, and we are back with Kelt Truman and Taylor Jaffe talking about environmental justice, talking about climate justice, and all that that brings together. Before we dive into all of that, I would love for Cal to finish how that youth of being very focused on the outdoors translated moved you into your work, your professional work and career. In, in the environmental world. Sure thing. Let me 
try to be a little more concise. Um, essentially, uh, I, I went to college and needed um, a summer job and was looking for something that would keep me outside and happened to be lucky enough to um, land an internship with the Nature Conservancy as um, a conservation docent. So I was doing habitat monitoring on a river um, and teaching people about Leave No Trace. Uh, I didn't study environmental science. I studied languages, but after college, I did a year of um, AmeriCorps Vista in Appalachia um, in a community that had a lot of abandoned coal mines and heavily be listening. Yeah. Yeah. So heavily polluted water um, from these abandoned coal mines. Um, I, you know, I did a handful of other seasonal environmental type jobs, field work, that sort of thing, and eventually got sick of getting laid off every winter and doing these summer jobs and then not having a job in the winter. And uh, I got trained up to install solar panels because um, that's year-round work. So this is how I ended up installing solar, um, which I did for three or four years um, until I got injured. And then I had to pivot again. Um, and at that point, I got into the education side of things because I know how the industry works and I know a lot about climate. Um, and so being able to take that and share it with people is, is uh, where that came from. Beautiful. And you are very gifted at it. Uh, everyone that I spoke to about the two of you, you, what the presentations that you gave went on and on about your passion and what they learned from the, the very short presentations that you gave. And I am, want to mention to everybody who's listening in my great excitement to have having young people on the show. I am really excited about your passion and how you share it. Okay, so let's dive in. But before we do, I have a, uh, a interesting little quote here. Climate justice matters because we are in an era of racial and social reckoning. So, uh, yeah, because environmental justice is the umbrella, let's start with you, Taylor. Tell us about your work with Catskill Mountain Keeper how we can understand your work in the Catskills in a broader sense as it relates to environmental justice and what is environmental justice as it relates to the climate crisis? There's just a few questions for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, feel free to give me a nudge if I'm getting off oh, track. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm at Catskill Mountain Keeper. I've been there a little bit over a year now and that work really started off with a need and a real desire to understand what communities are in the Catskill region and then what environmental benefits and burdens there are. So, you know, when we think of the Catskills, we we can think very clearly of those benefits, the, you know, clean water that flows to New York City, our beautiful rivers, mountains, hiking, all of that. Um, but we don't always see those burdens, especially since it's such a rural place. Um so my work with Mountain Keeper really started off mapping and finding the intersection between those burdens and then communities of color and low-income communities, especially. Um, so from there, and kind of this was guided by an environmental justice framework. So to define environmental justice more broadly, it's really a lens or a framework that we can use to understand the intersection of racial difference, and then environmental difference. So when we talk about benefits and burdens, that's really that environmental difference. And then, you know, racial racial difference is really the biggest thing that we see in environmental justice work. 
Um, but certainly income plays a role there too, of course. Um, and then, you know, thinking, you know, we've got our environmental justice umbrella. And then if we zoom in on climate, we're kind of thinking of that as a zoom in because, you know, in a perfect world, climate will be good. The climate should be stable. <laughs> um, and we won't be in a climate crisis. And even then, even if we weren't in a climate crisis, we could still think about environmental justice in terms of how do these benefits and burdens overlap with our different communities. Give us an example of a burden. Yeah, great. So a landfill is a burden that, you know, we've, it's, first of all, no one wants to live next to a landfill. It's unsightly. <laughs> and then there's so many other, you know, health impacts that it would have and ecological impacts as well. So that's one example of a burden. Um, another big one for environmental justice is air pollution. So this is a little bit more for urban areas and something that we see less in the Catskills, but, um, you know, where bus buses are located, things like that, where, where we've got these bus stations often happens to be in black and brown communities, especially. Indeed. I thank you for that. And Cal, now weigh in for us on what climate justice is as it relates to environmental justice. Speak more in depth about the nuances of environmental and climate justice. Sure. So to be to be clear, climate justice is an aspect of environmental justice. It's really using environmental justice as frameworks of looking for advantages and disadvantages and who receives what kind of outcomes um, and applying that to the impacts of climate change. So, the, you know, who lives in an urban heat island? You know, what trees have street trees or what, sorry, what streets have street trees in the city so that their neighborhoods are cooler versus the neighborhoods that don't have trees, which are hotter, who lives there? Um, again, the, the, the bus depot question is also a good one. Um, who who has to bear the burden of, for example, a gas power plant like Rose Tin or Dan Scammer, which are located in Newburgh, versus, you know, who who has to bear the burden of a, a solar field? Which What is the burden of a solar field? It's the view. So we're talking about relative advantages, disadvantages. That's, that's sort of a smaller scale. On a larger scale, we're looking at the impact of essentially the actions of the global north disproportionately affecting the global south. So the United States... Canada, China, you know, like we're talking about these large Europe, or we're talking about large economies that have had a large climate impact. Yeah. Are, and those impacts are disproportionately hitting countries that did not cause the harm. And so we're talking about island nations that, you know, essentially the global South taking that burden when they didn't cause the problem. Minor compared to the consumption that we have. Yeah. Well, this is a great seg into how does environmental justice intersect with other social justice movements? Cal, let's start with you. Sure. So um, climate justice is a feminist issue. Globally, women are more heavily impacted by the impacts of climate change, whether that's because they tend to do more caretaking activities that cannot be relocated, whether it's because they tend to do more of the um, uh, cleaning, like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about stoves. You know, you use the stoves that have a lot of particulate matter in most of the world um, that doesn't have high cleanliness stoves. It's women who are doing most of that work. And so by improving to higher efficiency, less carbon intensive 
cooking. Um, you can also improve women's health. Um, in disasters, it's usually women who have to take the children with them. It's like very frequently that women are disproportionately impacted um, in health and well-being when there's climate disasters, climate-related natural disasters. Um, it's a racial issue for reasons that we've already sort of talked through. Um, where are facilities located? Where is being impacted? You know, who lives in low-lying areas? You know, you've got you've got rich people in their beach houses, and then you've got folks living in the bayou, and like those are the two groups of people that you have living near the beach, right? So, uh, if the folks who don't have a choice to move, um, which also tends to be people who are poorer, you know, economically disadvantaged people, so that's a it's an economic justice issue. You know, I yeah. think of the disabled or the elderly. Exactly. All of these groups right. of people. If you're pregnant, if you have a disability, if you're young, it's hard to get out of a, da- of a disaster zone. Yeah. Taylor, do you want to add anything to this? Yeah. I mean, really what we're talking about here is uh, intersectionality. So this idea and this framework where, you know, race, class, gender, and other individual characteristics overlap with one another. So as we're thinking about environmental justice and climate justice, you know, we housing, for example, we can't think about that without, especially in the United States, thinking about redlining and these historic practices that have, you know, been based upon race and gender and class. And and that's really how we got to this moment. And to get out of it, (laughs) you know, we're really going to have to address those root causes and those root isms, really. Um, Climate justice and environmental justice won't really be able to happen without racial justice, gender justice, you know, all of all of these, it's all so connected. And that's, that's really the opportunity that we have in this crisis. (laughs) Yeah, if if I may add something, um, before the interview, Sandra, you mentioned um, a handful of these types of lenses of justice. And one of the one of the points you mentioned was um, prison, like prisons and the prison system. Mm -hmm. And it's also worth noting, you know, we talk about who is more locked up in the United States specifically, right? So who's in these prisons and it's considered a luxury to have air conditioning. And so as we're seeing record breaking heat and you're thinking, I'm so glad I have air conditioning. Well, most prisons are not air conditioned. And so who is disproportionately suffering from that heat in those areas? Not only the prisoners, but also the guards tend to be people of color. So. Thank you. Yes. Yes. It, the tendrils just never end. So before we go to break, I'm going to uh, ask the two of you to, st- to, to come up with two questions for our, our listeners that you might pose to them that could be calls to action in their understandings of all that we're discussing. And so we're going to go to break now. And when we come back, um, Taylor, I'm going to, I want to hear from you about frontline communities. And then I want to dive into some, some deeper issues again around all of this. When we come back with Cal Truman and Taylor Jaffe on the edge of every day, stay tuned, everyone. Howdy. Hey, 
Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never On the edge of every day. Of every day. And we are back on the edge. Cal Truman and Taylor Jaffe. So, Taylor, let's dive in again with you uh, about what role do frontline communities play in the envir- environmental justice movement and what are some community-led solutions? Mm. Yeah, so when we think about frontline communities, these are the folks who are living with these environmental burdens. So these are folks who are living next to power plants, living next to these bus depots, living with these harms and often these health impacts too, even over generations. Um, And often when we think of the climate crisis, especially, you know, sometimes we ask ourselves questions, you know, like, how can we stop this? How do we get out of it? And often it's those communities who have the answers, you know, they, they have the lived experience and they have the answers. Yeah. They just, you know, often lack resources and, you know, some of that political power on their own to, to do so. Wow. And, and how, how, and of course, that's the role of Mountain Keeper is to empower, find the way, be the voice for these people. And yeah. And how can all of us be a part of that? Hmm. To empower those kind of lifting up of those voices. Definitely. I mean, that's, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, definitely. Um, yeah. Lifting up, you know, lifting up those voices that maybe don't get lifted so often is, is really a, it's a topic for today. I mean, even social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, all of these, you know, that we all use that we're so, so used to interacting with, you know, black content creators, 
you know, non-cisgendered content creators, it, it gets pushed under. So we really have to be, you know, I try to be intentional about what content I'm seeking out and then critical too about sometimes what your what content you see. And that's one way to just kind of yeah. start finding this. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I have to say this for our listeners and, and, and you will speak up, Cal will speak up and the person who is receiving that speaking up, receiving that information needs to be an allyship and needs to be uh, to understand that that this is all learning that we're all choosing to grow and to be better and to make this situation better for everyone and that requires looking within <sighs> okay so i came across this in my research and it just was so spot on. It actually made tears spring to my eyes. Climate justice advocacy must involve being extremely appalled by the last several centuries of inaction to lower carbon emissions, which is not a new or unprecedented form of inaction. It is connected to generations of ecological violence that have not yet been reconciled and are rarely acknowledged. So we move into um, environmental degradation and what is the relationship between cultural destruction and environmental loss. Can you speak to that, Cal? I can certainly try to. Um, I mean, what we're talking about is, as far as, as far as, the, the onus to reduce emissions, I really think that that dates back less than 100 years because that is about how, I think that that's about how long we've known that burning fossil fuels are causing specifically climate warming problems, exactly. but not pollution generally and not right. harm on- and Not degradation. Know, exactly. And, and clear cutting, colonization, sure. capitalism. Right, right, right. Mining, drilling, you know, no coal miner ever said, you know, man, I lo love having to go down in the ground every day to eat. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, right, exactly. I love this, this cough that I've developed. Um, so I think, I think one of the, if we, if we want to zoom back that, that several hundreds of years, um, I think we're really talking about the, the, the folks who know how to steward land effectively have, have been uh, removed from it mostly and not permitted to do that. And we're finding that the, the indigenous practices for like, for example, forest management drastically reduces these wildfires, right? Things like that. Like the people who know how to care for the land should be allowed to care for the land. Um, and that is not current status quo. And so I think when we're talking about like the, the, long, the long shadow of, of some of these issues, where it goes back essentially to this idea that you can come to a place that's new to you and decide that you know how to run the show instead of talking to the people who already know how to do it and have been yeah, doing it for thousands of years. So, well, I'm, yeah, I'm because we we're zooming through this hour. Of course, it's always the case. Um, I'm going to switch gears, Taylor, and, um, and go into, I, uh, before I get into some more, um, solutions from both of you. I do want to speak with you, Cal, about your intentional community. Oh, sure. What is an intentional community? 
And what inspired you to found one what, to piggybacks on what you were just talking about? Hello. And do you see it as con- a contributing solution to the climate crisis? Good questions. So intentional community, I think the, the frame of reference most people have is like a commune, like 60s hippies. Like that's sort of, that's sort of the same, a commune is a kind of an intentional community. Eco villages are an intentional com- community. A lot of um, religious organizations, like an ashram is an intentional community. Um, co-ops can be intentional communities. The idea is that it's a group of people who decide we're going to live together on purpose and we're going to take care of each other on purpose and we're going to share responsibilities on purpose. Um, and, you know, in, in my case, I live with uh, five other folks in what I don't have great words for because language, you know, doesn't really have good words to describe this kind of a family, um, but it's a chosen family. And um, we split expenses, you know, if, if uh, you know, we split duties of cooking, somebody cooks dinner every night, but it's not you every night, you know, it, so that's a little easier. You know, the, someone walks the dog, but it doesn't have to be you every day. Um, we got a garden. We are... I. Some of the advantages on a on an environmental level are that you can buy in bulk, you know, even something as simple as that. You can have you don't have to have your own vehicle because there are two cars here. And so you can take a car if you need to take a car, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we can be deliberate about how we want to take care of each other. Um, and so that's a big part of that. And in queer spaces, queer spaces in particular, um, there's a lot of sort of yearning for these kind of non-traditional families and to have like a place um that is separate from the 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 gaze with a z gazing of people who might wish you harm or at least don't really understand what it is you're doing with your life and so having a sort of a respite from that is something that's very valuable um so we open our space up for since covid we've opened it up for camping weekends so that folks can visit and be outside and have community and we got some picnic tables on Craigslist, you know what I mean? So that we can host a lot of people um, at once and feed everyone. Um, but the idea of an intentional community is a very old idea. And in in many ways, it's older than the nuclear families that we tend to default to now. Um, there's, there's a lot of cultural and historical um, resonance for the idea of having, you know, a larger community that lives together and takes care of each other. This is sort of a more traditional... Do you have any resources that you could, um, could that you could offer about for people to learn more about that? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. My the top um, resource I would suggest for anyone who thinks they're interested in actually starting an intentional community um, is a book called "Building a Life Together." I can't place the author off the top of my head, but I can get that to you. Um, and this book walks through, you know, what is an intentional community, and then it goes through case studies of various actual real life communities that some of them succeeded, some of them did not. We read it and used it biblically as we were building our own space. Like, okay, big no-no, not talking about money. You know, you got to talk about money. No one wants to. Um, And so we're having like hard conversations, but we're doing it on purpose and with the understanding that everyone is trying to be kind to everyone else at the table. It's so fabulous. But but I'm also thinking in terms of the, the the community coming out and working the the, the um, working the land. I have a new neighbor here in the Catskill Mountains who moved out of the city and completely pivoted to. They are now landscapers and beak becoming beekeepers, 
And it really smacks to me of where we're moving in terms of an, a, 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 a returning to this understanding of how to steward the land and, and, and the need will continue to grow sure. as these crises continue. And yeah. so we will all be called to these intentional communities, in my opinion, ultimately, that's where we're heading. I think it's important uh, to just note that you can you can do an intentional community in an urban environment, like oh, in the absolutely. And so that's also super important. So I just, if anyone's thinking, well, I don't want to move to the middle of nowhere, you don't have to. <laughs> you just have to do a, a garden, a, a rooftop garden, <laughs> <laughs> which is, would be great. Okay, so uh, Sam, how much time do we have left? I have a. a, a well, I'm just going to dive in. Two minutes. Okay, that's enough time. Taylor, so um, what are some ways individuals and businesses can go green in their homes and properties? And both of you, please weigh in on that. And you have two minutes, go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the framework that you started us off with, Cal, is really helpful here. So, you know, what is the correct level that you can really engage? Because there's certainly, you know, small businesses where maybe it doesn't make sense to, you know, go solar or or do any of those things. Maybe you don't have the resources yet, or, you know, the, maybe it's not practical, but, um, you know, switching to just more like, you know, no plastic bags. And if we do need, you know, to wrap, gift wrap something, let's say you're like a, you know, shop on main street, you can choose, you know, recycled materials to do that. You can, you know, try to source responsibly the things that are in your shop. Um, Totally. And then consumer side, we can really look for those different values and, and really try to search for them and invest in them. Yeah. And be willing to let go of those things that that we that we may need to be letting go of. So Cal, weigh in. We have one minute. <laughs> well, first thing to do um, in your if we're talking about businesses is figure out where you're using energy and where you can save some energy. So I would say do an audit of your lighting, do an audit of your heating and cooling. Um, and both, both of your, your uh, both Mountain Keeper, Casco Mountain Keeper and New Yorkers for Clean Power do those audits, correct? Um, I can help connect people with those audits. We have tools to connect people with them. Excellent. So we don't do them ourselves, but got yeah. It, got it, got it. I'd love to talk about that after the break. Um, but, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, we will do that. So let's just take that break now. Uh, When we come back, we will talk about those energy audits. When we come back with Cal Truman and Taylor Jaffe on the edge of every day. Stay tuned, everyone. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us.
Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we are back. So, Cal, let's pick it up. Energy audit. Sure. Well, so I could take it one step back. Um, People think, well, okay, how do I go solar? And like, maybe you want to go solar. But the truth is that in New York State, a third of our emissions come from buildings and a third of them come from transportation. So electricity is is not the top source of those carbon warming emissions. So looking at your building, where you're using energy in your building, and looking at if your business involves like a fleet if you've got vehicles, those are some places to start. Um, so the, the energy audit is a tool where a professional comes and helps examine your building um, and figure out like where you've got drafts, where you like, should you upgrade your windows? Do you need more insulation? Are your lights out of date? Because, you know, you think switching LEDs, okay, what could be less impactful than that? It turns out that it's actually very impactful. The city of Kingston just went to all LED streetlights and has seen an enormous savings in energy across the city. So it turns out that these little changes, because the lights are on the whole time your store is open, it actually makes a pretty big difference. Um, So things like that, looking at, okay, we have two delivery vans. Could either of them be electric? You know, how about for a consumer? For a consumer, um, we're talking about purchases that are environmentally friendly or we're talking about homes? Their 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 homes and the energy okay. audit, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So it's it's similar. Um, the energy auditor is a, would come to your house and they would walk through with you. They would test to see where you've got drafts, where you've got leaks, where air is coming in, help you figure out what are the most cost-effective ways to stop losing um, that conditioned air in your space and um, could also talk you through if you have fossil fuel-based heating or cooling, um, or your hot water tank is an oil boiler, they can talk you through switching to high efficiency heat pumps for that or geothermal, you know, so something that would use electricity that could be provided by renewables. And that's a resource to, and they can set up, they can get the ball rolling to set that up on your website. Absolutely. So yes, so New Yorkers for Clean Power has what we call clean energy coaches. There are a couple of folks who uh, are on staff to take calls, essentially, We have a a calendar where you can pick a time with them. And if you've been wondering, man, I wish I could go solar, but I don't really know where to start. Or, you know, I'd like my school to, you know, upgrade our heating system, or I want my work to have electric vehicles. I don't know how to start this process. These are experts who will talk to you for 45 minutes. There's no charge and they're not selling anything. So you don't have to worry. Like the only reason they said I should get geothermal is because they're trying to sell me a geothermal system, for example. Um, And so this is free. It's on our website, nyforcleanpower.org. That's fantastic. So Taylor, talk to me about some of the resources that are on the Catskill Mountain Keeper website. For a great question. Yeah. Um, I would say our primary, uh, our primary means of education, we often do a lot of webinars. 
which is, you know, in fact, how we got connected. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, Mountain Keeper is certainly a, we're, we're a mean light team. Um, And, you know, part of the great thing about that is we get to work with a lot of great people. So in those webinars, you'll find, you know, a lot of experts where we maybe (laughs) don't have the capacity to be experts ourselves, um, who, who really have a lot of that information and more of that information and, you know, keeping our library of webinars on our main page is is really a a great way for us to, to make sure that that's accessible too. I have checked it out and it is wonderful. Um, Quickly. um, Well, not quickly, um, poignantly, but not forever. Um, I'm really, you know, I had a woman on, Harriet Sugarman, who my mentor for when I did cl- the climate reality training with Al Gore, and she's fantastic. She calls herself Climate Mama, and that's the name of her website. And she has a book, and and she she's a professor, and she speaks beautifully. And you know, we t- we touched on very briefly, but uh, the mental health issue for young people. I mean. I, I can't speak to me about what the two of you feel and how you are experiencing how earth, where we are in this process, having so, so often adults making the wrong decisions. Where are you all with your understanding of mental health with young people? Where are you personally and where are you across the board with the people that you come across? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm frustrated. (laughs) Um, I think it's probably a kind way of saying it. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think we pissed off. Exactly. It's so completely. Yeah. Frustrated. And, and it's so easy to feel overwhelmed. Um, And I think, you know, that's really where we kind of started this conversation. So frustrated and overwhelmed, but um, you know, I, I see that people feel that. And I also, the the more that I'm really able to connect with, you know, the elders in this movement, you know, these are feelings that have been felt and still they persist. (laughs) Like these are folks who keep on. And that really is the, the bottom line that, you know, it's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. We have to kind of process those emotions all the way, but change takes action. And even if it just starts at the individual level, that's just where you got to start. Amen. How about you, Kel? So um, as I'm just a couple years from 40, I'm in this interesting sort of bridge position in climate and queer spaces where I'm not, I'm not an elder in the real world, but in both of those spaces, sometimes I am. Um, And so I, I feel like I, I was a little ahead of my time. I was climate anxious before it was cool. Um, but at this point, you know, the poor, I feel bad for the, for the Zoomers. I feel bad for Gen Z because, you know, I, I didn't know any of my peers that were freaked out about the environment when I was in high school. And now it's, I believe, 60% of kids surveyed say that they're worried, like very worried or extremely worried. And I would say extremely worried should be a concern to all adults. Um, and more, almost half said that they think about climate change every day or that it affects their feelings about the future and their daily lives. Processes. Right, exactly. And so my, my coworker has talked to me about how she used to want kids and now doesn't 
You know, it's like that kind of thing where like people are making these big decisions based on whether they think we have a livable future. And that's extremely bleak. So I think it's important for those like younger folks to know that just because the voices that you're hearing are from the people who have failed you doesn't mean that everyone has failed you. Like it is really important to know how many people are working every day to make sure you have a livable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there are just so many of us. And the problem is that the people who get the big money are the people who are trying to stop the progress. And so there are a lot more people who are fighting for you than fighting against you. The problem is the ones who are fighting against you have a lot more resources. So the best thing you can do is find the people who are fighting for you and find out how to get involved. Yeah. Indeed. And and what? Vote. Every Absolutely single do that. person of age that is of voting age must vote must there is no there's no reason that you can that you aren't voting yeah i see voting as necessary but not sufficient right so like oh agreed yeah totally but But i think often the when when we ask for a call to action from our leaders often they end with so make sure you get out to the polls and that is not enough like it is it is necessary but not sufficient i love that you said that that is so this brings me we've got two minutes to the end what are your quest? What are your call to actions? Just one from each. Call to action to our listeners. Hmm. I've been thinking a little bit about climate in terms of our food recently, hmm. and how you know something as easy as buying less products from these companies who are using those dollars to hurt us environmentally is right. Who are you know, paying for? Who are going putting it into the coffers of politicians that vote against? Climate change. Absolutely. There is certainly activism. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is my call to action. Cal. Yeah. uh, I had two questions. One was, what's something you've been telling yourself you should do or you want to do around climate or clean energy, but you just haven't gotten around to it? And what would it take to get you to take that action? So like, you're like, oh man, I keep thinking about that. I've been thinking about, stop thinking, do it. We don't have time. No time for overwhelm. And the second question was, who are your elected officials and what are their climate records? <laughs> Find out. All great suggestions. Harang them. You all are fantastic. And we have one minute to the end, so I have to just stop us as much as I want to go on and on and talk with you all. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on this show and to share your wisdom and your talent. We are so grateful. Cal, website? So um, new NY for the word for, F-O-R, NY for cleanpower.org is the New Yorkers for Clean Power website where you can find that clean energy coaching tool as well as um, our green jobs map. And you can sign up to get an hour long green the grid and electrify everything presentation from me for free. Um, If you want to follow my intentional community, we're on Instagram at the dot rev r-e-v-e dot o-lution excellent and taylor find you yep you can find me at catskillmountainkeeper.org to know you know more things mountain keeper or you can find my personal uh you know website and all of that information on instagram at taylor c jaffe j-a-f-f-e excellent and i have included your music website they will be in the show notes so that will show up well, again, I thank you. I thank you for your time on with us, sharing your, your knowledge and wisdom. And for all of you listening in, thank you for spending this time with us. 
Remember, you are always on the edge of the miraculous. Till we meet again, stay well. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.